0: You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry
1: leaders, and be motivated by real life experience. Topco, Business Unusual. So good good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Topco's Business Unusual podcast. Uh, This has taken about six months in the making, maybe more. Um, So we're really proud to have Michael Jordan um, join us in this podcast. Uh, Venture capitalist, famous businessman, uh, former CEO, um, busy person. So welcome, Michael, and thanks so much for joining us.
0: Ralph, I appreciate uh, that you're having me.
1: Yeah, we're saying you're looking younger, you know, shaven (laughs) and fresh and everything. And I thought you were busy launching all these businesses and zero bank coming out.
0: You know, um, Ralph, the the secret of life is to surround yourself with people who are better than you. So in all these ventures, um, it's it's not me. Um, It's me backing uh, a team of people who have impressed me. And uh, if you can do that um, in your personal life and in your business life, um, you are likely to be successful. But it, it really, you know, it takes that point of, of, of recognizing it's not about you. It's about the people around you. So, you know, Bank Zero has quite an amazing team that have launched it under the leadership of Yatin Arsi. And um, same with Rain, you know, Willem used to be there and Brandon Lee now has it. So I, I actually feel quite humbled when I'm in the presence of all these entrepreneurs who create something out of nothing.
1: But, I mean, I saw your tweet the other day about your first entrepreneurial venture, um, you know, raising rabbits and then getting their food for free. And it was like um, baseline cost zero. Um, So it's not like, you you know, I think you give this impression that you're a corporate and a venture capitalist. But actually, for your roots, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, you know,
0: I saw that article about, you know, rabbit farming gaining popularity in South Africa uh, for a number of reasons, you know, if some people eat it, it's actually very great and healthy meat. It's also much easier to to create to propagate that meat than it is for, let's say, with cows and chickens. Um, so you know, your conversion is better, and obviously, you know, rabbits breed like rabbits. Um, so I, I wanted to actually get that message out there, just to other people, you know, who are thinking of an entrepreneurial career. It doesn't have to be high tech. It doesn't have to be incredibly sophisticated. I mean, the rabbit thing for me was quite amazing. I had a little pen outside in our garden, and every day I would walk or cycle to the local green grocer. They would happily give me some carrots or salads or whatever that had gone over the sell by that. So I could afford um, to have, call it a hobby and a little business as a kid. That was actually very successful. And I see no reason why this very specific model can't be done by hundreds of kids out there um, for free as well. Um, I mean, I quite enjoyed selling my rabbits to the local pet shop. You know, I preferred that to, you know, sending them to a butcher. But, um, you know, there there are possibilities everywhere around us. And if you just look at what's available, and this one's low cost, low barrier to entry. And uh, it's kind of just a message that I'm passing out there to entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs.
1: For sure. And it reminds me of that story from Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's where they had to, you know, where they worked in the store and they sold the old magazines, the uh, comics, and they had their friends come around and, and sort of rent the comics, so to say. It reminds me of the same story as How do we become innovative with what we have, the, the resources we have? And you did that. I mean, exactly. you, you left a really established the number one bank at the time in South Africa, FNB, and you sort of went on your own and, and you started up uh, Mont Grey Capital. And, and so one wonders why on earth would someone do that?
0: Well, uh, you know, um, I had my time in the corporate world. It was a great time. Once again, the secret there was, you know, the people you surround yourself with. I was lucky that at a founder level of the bank, you know, I, I had support. I knew the founders and, you know, it helped to know how they were thinking, which was um, very much informed by RMB's uh, uh, payoff line, which is traditional values and innovative ideas. Um, so you knew that, you know, if you stick to some of the things that are really important in banking, um, you know the, uh, the rules of credit, for example, uh, but at the same time that you could come up with innovative new products that this would be welcome. So I had a great time there, but I knew that you know, at the end of it, what I really wanted to do is uh, be an entrepreneur or support entrepreneurship, basically from the belief that this is how one creates a better future and that the startup, the humble little startup, is one of the best vehicles we have at our disposal to create the type of future that we want. Of course, you know, if you do it successfully, it can also be financially rewarding. But I have to say that that wasn't my driving force. That for me was like a measurement system to make sure that the business is sustainable. It was more about using startups to create solutions to society and, you know, in a way, make everything around us a little bit better.
1: Yeah, so funny because actually when I was doing my research, I saw that in one of the companies you're listed as a chairman, it says um, you, you know you're, you're, you went to Singularity University, and I know Singularity quite well and their disruptive thinking. and I wondered, was it yes. then was that the moment that you realized that looking forward was was where you needed to be as opposed to now in the present?
0: yeah, I it made a big difference to me going there, going to San Francisco, actually being there I, I think it's slightly different from just reading the books or you know, attending a singularity event elsewhere, because as much as you had these wonderful speakers there, all of whom practiced the art, you know, these weren't just academics. Let's say you did 3D printing, there would be somebody doing 3D printing or AI in medicine, there'd be a doctor who's actually practicing it. So that was inspirational, but even more inspirational was the team of people that attended it. And, you know, you started the days early with lots of coffee and you went late into night, you we were discussing how the world could be. And there's something to be said, for living in the future because once you see i don't know your first self-driving car you realize this isn't just a concept cars can drive themselves or you know what people can do with 3d printing or electricity generation through solar panels etc and you you know you can be beholden to the world as is or you can research and understand where the world is going to and that creates a myriad of entrepreneurial opportunities so yes i i mean that was quite um inspirational for, for me but i have to say a big thing of what happened to me in first brand was intrapreneurial you know we very much had the belief of being an entrepreneur within a corporate having you know separate business centers and there was a lot of entrepreneurial freedom in that environment so it was kind of a natural step for me to go from being an intrapreneur to then actually be inspired by the founders of first brand and you know ultimately become an entrepreneur and to back other entrepreneurs
1: yeah, for sure. It seems like the way, there seems to be a lot of organization, I mean, just like, you know, Steve Jobs going back into Apple, taking that entrepreneurial sort of approach back into a big corporate. It seems that there's a lot of, you know, we've talked about disruption and what you're doing to the whole banking industry with Bank Zero. And I was going to ask, what would you do if you were in the banking industry? But I'd imagine you'd probably try and innovate yourself in some way.
0: Yeah, there's this famous saying, you know, I, I don't know who came up with it, which says it's all about whether the startup gets distribution before the incumbent gets innovation. So I think this is the battle of our time, the battle between really big companies. And remember in the banking sector in South Africa, we have a very sophisticated banking system. We have some very, very impressive banks. Um, And, you know, they are trying to be innovative. And now you've got these fintechs competing against them. I would say one of their big challenges would be having a very big cost base, Um, Because for me, it has just been amazing to see what this little team in in Bank Zero can achieve. You know, it's a team of 30 people. The startup cost is 1% of 1% of the annual budget of any of these big banks. Now, obviously, it doesn't do at all all the services that they do. um, But in time, you know, it's going to grow based on, uh, you know, the platform that they've established now. So I would say, um, yes, the big guys need to be more innovative. But I think the cost base is is a really big thing because what fintech has done and what things like cryptocurrencies have done is that basically shown that much of that tech infrastructure that banks have can be improved upon radically at a much lower price. Um, Things like cryptocurrency, for example, have immediate payments across the world. Now, you struggle to make immediate payments in South Africa unless it's at a very high fee. So that's the new world. Then there's the old world, and there'll have to be innovation and cost reduction for the big guys to compete in the long run.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think um, George Zachariah, spoke at the event once and and he said that those those startups who partner with some of the traditional banks or the traditional big corporates their chance of success goes up to about 85 percent because of one reason because of distribution like you said so their strong point is distribution and the startup's strong point is innovation so um it's can can those other organizations compete with that innovation as quickly as the startups I suppose and in teams what are you looking for because obviously you started up with just the two of you and it was like quite tight You, you came from a corporate how did you decide who to invest in and what ideas to invest in I mean you know five years ago you conceived this bank zero idea and 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 how hard is it to conceive think of the future and have that resilience to kind of push through to see it like explode now as it is
0: so so of course there are many, many factors that um you know lead to investment success in the VC space. But but if, if I were forced to choose just one, it would still be people. You ultimately you're making a bet on the jockey or the jockey and his or her team. Um and if you make the right call there, it's gonna go well. If you make the wrong call, then it doesn't help if you do whatever due diligence you want and whatever contract you sign and how You know, how good the ideas and how well you structure the investment agreement. So it reduces back to the individual. And and these are interesting individuals. Sometimes they can be difficult people. I, I don't mind difficult people at all, you know, provided they're interesting and there's a reason for them being difficult, such as just not buying the status quo and thinking that the world can be better or that there's a better solution to having achieved it. And then if there's one thing that really impresses me, it's a track record of execution and that is because people do tend to overvalue ideas and undervalue implementation or execution i i'm a geek or a nerd or whatever you want to call it i love ideas i love reading books but you have to understand that ideas on their own are not good enough you have to have a proven ability to show that you can implement that idea in such a way that someone's willing to pay for it
1: my dad had a partner dennis o'brien and uh, he said to my dad he said uh, dick dick there's millions of ideas out there, but you've got to make them work. And it's, it's about how do, you, how, do you, how do you find that mechanism? Because obviously you're investing your, your equity in these organizations. You had other people organizing things. How do you make those investments work for you? How do you make sure they execute on time? Because you talk around the suits and getting away from the suits and getting out of the boardroom and getting your hands dirty. So I suppose the question is, how do you do that?
0: Um, I think there are very many different models. And I'm I, under no pretense that, you know, mine is, you know, the only one that can work. But I suppose it really had to do with having a network and having people approach me and being able to then um, find out whether those people, um, you know, have the right moral values, the right ethics and have a track record of execution. So, you know, I was able to do that. Um, I also did it all for myself, so I was fortunate to start with a little bit of capital. I think it's a lot tougher if you have to do it for OPM, for other people's money. I think there's, you know, far more stress involved. um, And I think in a subtle way, it will change your decision making. You know, I I was okay with saying, if I'm going to make some mistakes, you know, it's going to be me that feels the pain, or in fact, you know, my children, because I'm kind of doing it all for the family. So um, I, I just got going. Um, in the beginning, you make mistakes. Um, I, I would say there were certainly deals I should have done that I didn't do, um, I rather than that. deals I did that went wrong. Yeah, and you know, I look back now and those would be some of the bigger mistakes. You know, I'd rather not list them, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, you've you got to get going and, and you need to have a certain amount of capital in the VC space that, that you know that you have a cushion um, if you're going to make some of those mistakes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, um, w- would you advise South Africans to be invested in South Africa with the opportunities here? Or do you think there's also opportunities overseas as well?
0: Look, it depends very much um, who you're talking about and, um, you know, what, they, what their own personal status is. But very definitely, the first thing I would advise people to do is to pay off all debts. You know, some people think they must diversify abroad and so on. Your most secure investment return is actually paying off your debts. Um, the next thing would be then to invest in something you know really well, and that may be something quite local. But yes, at some stage it is indeed great to um, to have to diversify abroad. And I'm just going to mention one statistic here: it's the fact that South Africa is 0.33% of global GDP. So you, you really don't want all of your investments when it comes to that trapped in 0.33% of the world economy.
1: Interesting. And I mean, you, you mean, you talk about, you know, financial um, intelligence. And one of the things I see is, you know, I've got three boys and I, I gave them all copies of Richard, poor Dad, and many numerous, you know, the millionaire next door and numerous other publications. Is that a big challenge you think the, to educate people in terms of financial literacy at the moment? Is, is that a big opportunity or a, yeah, look, if you think
0: about, um, you know, my kids are doing maths at school now and they're learning all about Pythagoras and geometry and all those type of things. Um, but very many people don't know their basic financial literacy, uh, even when it comes to doing their own monthly budget, for example. I mean, I, I think it's like a very useful discipline to have because, you know, if you can do a monthly budget for your household, um, then you have the basic skills to do it for business. If you can do it for business, you can do it for the broader economy, et cetera. So um, just having basic financial savvy, you know, you as a parent, you know, giving your kids pocket money and, you know, asking them to actually um, work out, you know, what they can spend it on, et cetera, et cetera needs to be there. And then um, investments, you know, um, one of the things I do with my kids is I lend them a symbolic amount of money and then we go through and we make investments online actually using the Easy Equities platform. Um, and it's just a great exposure for them early on in life, learning about companies and things like earnings per share and PE ratios and growth, et cetera. Um, stuff that you don't get in a normal schooling environment, where, which is actually very conventional and in many ways doesn't give you the tools that you need to be successful in the future.
1: Sure. And I saw one of your principles of investing with Gray is obviously you, you look for entrepreneurs who are frugal. So by default, you're looking for really, you know, financially literate, uh, disciplined business people as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think, just think it comes with the territory. When I say track record of execution, um, it goes for, without saying that it needs to be frugal or lean. You know, when you're in the startup world, the leaner you can be, the more frugal you can be by getting things going, the longer life you give yourself. And the longer life you have, you know, the, the better the, your chances of success. And, I, I mean, this is quite amazing. I've seen people do things, but with kind of a corporate mindset. I, I don't know. You can start a bank and you can spend 100 million, a billion, or billions of rands. Or I've now seen how you can do it with very little, provided you have smart people who know how to use open source technologies, who know how to reuse things that have been done elsewhere in the world. There's a huge amount of resources currently available for free. But you have to be agile and flexible enough Um, and money conscious enough to know that there is a better way of doing things.
1: I was going to ask you, so what are you seeing from yourself in terms of entrepreneurs that are doing well that you're investing in? So is it that inquisitiveness? Is it looking for things that are free, cheap? Is it that?
0: Well, I think it's got to start off with deep domain knowledge. Um, You know, if you want to go change the world or just change the industry or even just start a business, you better really, really know that business, the product, the competitors, the market, you know, how it works. It's, it's probably the, the best way of learning something, you know, isn't doing an MBA, it's starting a business like that. And as important as the first 80% or 90% or even 99% is that real breakthroughs are done in that last percent. When you know that last percent of knowledge that your competitors don't, then you can have a great business. So it starts with domain knowledge. And obviously, yes. there's the financial savvy that you need to have, you yes. know, being lean and and, and, and agile. Um, yes. and, and then finally, it comes back to this track record of execution. And, and to execute, implement things That's hard. It really, really is hard. Sometimes you have to hustle. Sometimes you have to convince other people, um, you know, to somehow give you a gap. And some people are just able to do it. They're the born entrepreneurs. Others actually know that they need that type of discipline and then use the discipline to succeed it. But, again, there's there's no kind of substitute for just proving that you have the ability to turn an idea into reality, to go from zero to one, as as Peter Thiel calls it, curating something completely new. It is, of course, a wonderful thing once you've done that Um, most entrepreneurs will tell you that once they've you know built their business had they known how hard it was going to be they probably would never have done it in the first place but um, yeah, that's why you've got to be unreasonable in some ways and, and just get going to do it.
1: Yeah unrealistic and I mean look just talking about um, bank zero obviously you know I think what you're doing is is so innovative and so hard to almost think about how you're going to make money. And I know you've, you've got a lot of documentation there. And I was really intrigued how you went about that. And, and so, you know, what I saw is that you use that first principle. Um, but for a lot of people that don't really know what first principle is, and I also read it maybe a couple of years ago with Elon Musk, who uses it quite a lot as well with what he's doing. When did you come across that and, and sort of, is that through reading and exploring? Yeah. Look, I, I,
0: first of all, a, a lot of the credit—yeah, if not all the credit—needs to go to Yatinashi, um, you know, and and the dream he had. Um, and you know, we had these discussions about what would you do if you didn't have legacy technology, because that can hold you back, but also have a legacy business model. And that business model, you know, if you're a bank, is everything from having branches to charging fees for certain things. That if you started from first principles, i.e., started from basics. You would say, well, it doesn't make sense to charge for this and this and this. Um, so, and, and that's kind of how the idea came up. He said it would be a mobile bank, it wouldn't be branches, there wouldn't be paperwork involved. Um, it would all just be you know, kind of as easy as sending a, mess, a WhatsApp message to a friend or, or doing Facebook, for example. Um, but, uh, you, you know, these type of things happen in strategic discussions. In our case, it was facilitated by a lot of red wine in the beginning, um, you know this thing of the price the price of zero it is the price of our time you know you don't it doesn't cost you anything to tweet or to go onto facebook or to instagram etc and the first principle thinking says you know why must banking then be different you know the transfer of money is a blip of information that goes across the internet and if you can build the infrastructure to do that safely and securely you may not need to charge these high fees for that
1: Yeah, I mean, I I also listened a little bit about how the technology you developed yourself. And I suppose there's that long term strategy, which you've always had, which is how do we create value in the long term? And so I I wasn't sure, is that because it's your proprietary? Is it because um, you're looking to scale outside of South Africa? So I think some of the other learnings is there's a lot of startups who are building solutions for just South Africa and their value and their scale like you said, is 0.33% of the global market. Have you, have, you, have you looked at this as a global solution or have you looked at it more of as a continental solution?
0: No, look, I think you start by solving the problems in front of you. Just like you said, charities begins at home. You know, your startup starts by, there's a problem that you're fascinated with and you try and solve that problem in front of you. Now, South Africa is a wonderful laboratory in that sense. The market is um, big enough to do that, Um, but it's also small enough to, in some sense, be protected against some of the big guys wanting to come here. They typically have bigger fish to fry, so it gives you kind of that opportunity. It also has everything from highly sophisticated to very unsophisticated, so all types of market segments, different languages, et cetera. So um, all the startups need to be successful here first. Um, There's something to be said for winning your home games before you try and um, win games abroad. Now, in saying all of that, I'm not saying that um, these startups don't have aspirations to ultimately go abroad. I really think they should, you know, given that 3.33% um, of the world economy. But get it right here first. Sort out all the problems, the bugs. Understand what your business model is. Do it properly here first so that when you go abroad, you can actually take your 18, your best players, and, and you can make the success of it going abroad as well.
1: Thank you. So my son's in this final couple of months of school. Um. A bright young chap, what would your advice be to people who are finishing school now? Um, We had these discussions, you know, do you do data science? Yeah, uh, you know, where where would you be positioning yourself? Do you travel? Like you went overseas and worked in Germany for a bit. You know, where's your sort of thinking at now? If you had to talk to a younger Michael Doran, what would you be telling him?
0: Yeah. Well, you you know, I can't just um, answer that in the abstract. You know, if it had to be abstract, I'd say, I don't know, coding or data science or job that's international. What does he want to do? What What is his passion? You know, what is he good at? You know, because it's it's very individualistic. Um, Of course, there are certain characteristics that are important. I think curiosity is just something, you know, you want people to have and problem solving. And um, sometimes um, kind of doing understanding complexity that things aren't just like one uh, specific subject but you know i wouldn't advise your son to do anything until i really understood you know what 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 he's passionate about what he's good at and you know what he would want to see in the future i I would add this though that um, if he is fortunate enough um, to study for a long time that's not a bad thing to do you know because learning and education and skills is what it's all about i also think our kids um, you know, have the capacity to also make some mistakes on the road, to take some risks. Um, you know, when I grew up, you know, my parents would encourage me to just study something so you could fall back on it. And there was always this thing of, like, lower your risk, study something where you can immediately get a job. That may not be the right uh, advice to, to give your, your kids anymore. They should really get the skills that could set them up for some other entrepreneurial future. Because then you know, they can work anywhere or any in the world with any type of skill set. But, you know, that may or may not work for your son. You'll know best.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think he work, he's working out for himself at the end of the day anyway. But um, I mean, are you seeing any growth growth sectors? Because obviously, you know, um, you're in data. And, and I think that you sort of term it quite well. You say connectedness. Yes. So, I but, mean... How do you unpack connectedness?
0: Well, well, it depends on what question are you ask me now about connectedness. I so mean, I think it's becoming so more and more connected. Data is more connected. It's quite yeah. amazing that if you can make connections across different disciplines, that's usually where innovation comes from.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I suppose, you know, I know that time's running out. But it it does seem to me, from a personal perspective as a person, that your success also lies on you as a person, as an individual, and the relationships that you've built, and that and that trust that you've you've sort of you know that execution. But it's also you've done it in a, a moral and a good way, where everybody seems to be winning. How important was that when you were younger to have those sort of relationships and be building on it, from you know Paul Harris to where you are now?
0: Yeah, yeah look at so I say it is about people and if you search people it is about relationships and relationships involve not just the business relationship but really understanding individuals whether they're authentic whether they've got a set of you know kind of moral principles whether they have a sense of humor whether you know they bs or can't get things done um and and that's kind of something you you develop over time um obviously you yourself have to always kind of try and live by that same motto and um what, what it really means is just you Know, trying to be the best person you, you can be. It's not just about being yourself, it's being the best version of yourself. Um, in the startups, I, you know, I don't have very strictly defined roles. I get involved the way the entrepreneurs want me to get involved. There are investments I make where I, you know, I don't see them for a year and they will write me the odd report and I'm kind of happy like that. And there are others who say, please come and join us. Here's a meeting or how would you handle the situation? Um, I've got this HR problem or this marketing problem and I give my ideas. But I'm also not proprietary about whether they then take them up or not. You know, you can't be the, the alpha type personality says, but I told you you should do that and you didn't do that, you know. So it's a, I'm fortunate to be in a certain uh, area of life where I enjoy all these startups. I enjoy working with these interesting individuals. I like it, you know, if I can add value by, by, um, you know, kind of giving them guidance or mentorship. But I'm also not um, precious about it that they then have to listen to me because the whole thing about coming up with ideas is that you sometimes come up with ideas that aren't clever. You know, you also come up with silly ideas and you've, you've got to accept that too. Yeah,
1: Mike, it was really great speaking to you. I see that you've, you've, you've closed off investments for um, Montgray. Does that, does that mean all new ideas are off the table? Are you still, are you looking at people now as opposed to them coming to you? Look,
0: I, I, I said I, I was fortunate enough to start with a little bit of my own capital. I'm out of ammo now, you know, which... Um, is a, in, a way, in a way, also a good thing because one of the tough things about being a venture capitalist is you have to say no a lot. And by saying no to people, you, you know, you so often feel you're in the position of killing their dreams. That's the one bit I didn't like about this type of investing. So where I am now is you're consolidating, looking after my portfolio. Um, hopefully there'll also be some exits, although, you know, you can't push those things too hard. You know, they, they need to come at the right time. And then at some stage, yes, you can start reinvesting again. So it's more about consolidation. Um, but there are always new things that happen. There's a lot of uncertainty in the VC world. Um, you know, I tell that to you today, who knows where we're going to be next year where the markets are much higher or we've had a crash in America. Um, and then you just have to stay on your feet and, and you know, make sure you make the right decisions, both for your existing investments and as well as the overall um, strategy that you follow in your portfolio.
1: Mike, it was so great to speak to you. It's so inspiring. We wish you all the best of luck with the new bank. Thanks so much Thank for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Well, very nice to talk to you. I appreciate the, the time.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's an honor.
0: <laughs> um, no, and I appreciate it. All the best. Thank you so much. Goodbye.